Thank you, Barry. It was one year ago this week. One year ago this week, Vicki and I had been out on one of our nightly three-mile walks, and near the end of that, <clears throat> of that walk, I looked over to her and I said, what does it mean when it feels like this? She said, like what? Well, it's kind of tight. There's some pressure. She said, that means you're going to the doctor first thing in the morning. Fortunately, I listened, and within six days, I had seen at least four doctors, had multiple EKGs, uh, had been to get an arteriogram where the doctor came back and said, you've got three major blockages. Uh, the Widowmaker one they call is 99% blocked. The uh, other one was 99% blocked. Uh, the third one was like 80-some percent blocked. And he said, uh, we got surgery scheduled for you tomorrow at noon. Wow. Wow. One year ago this week, through the whole ordeal, I have felt and especially back then, felt God taking care of me. And one of the main ways that I felt him take care of me was through the care and the love and the hands of my good wife, who God provided and who is a tremendous loving wife and an awesome resident cardiac nurse. <laughs> uh, by trade and by spouse. And I consider myself incredibly fortunate. Vicki's an awesome wife and she's a wonderful spouse and I am blessed. Contrast Vicki with a guy named George. George is another type of spouse. George attended a church that was known for its weekly men's meetings. And at a recent session, the group leader asked George who had earlier shared that he was, uh, had an upcoming 50th wedding anniversary. Uh, and and, and so, the, so the group leader said, well, well, George, since that's coming up, why don't you talk to us about some of your experiences and how you've managed to keep your marriage afloat for all these years. And so feeling pretty proud and pretty happy about that, George stood up and he looked around the, the group of younger men and he shared that he had tried to make his wife happy by, by treating her well, he said, I try to treat her really nice and spend some money on her. And he said the best thing he ever did was to take her to Italy for their 25th anniversary. The group leader responded by praising George uh, for being an inspiration and an example to all the men there. And then he asked George that since he had done so well with his 25th wedding anniversary, what he had planned for his 50th. George looked up at all the men with a smile on his face, he proudly answered by saying, I think I'm going to go back over there and pick her up. <laughs> it's been one of the joys as a minister over the past 37 years for me to be able to participate in the wedding ceremonies of, of so many couples, some of whom are in this room right now. 
there's so much joy and there's so much promise and there's so much hope in those moments. And, and to be able to stand in front of the bride and groom and to see into their eyes and to hear their vows of, of love and commitment and to sense their excitement, I've often felt in those moments as I stood only inches away from the bride and groom that I could actually feel the holiness. It often feels like I'm intruding on an incredibly special, distinctive, intimate, and holy moment. Holy matrimony is the subject that I've been asked to share about today. And the assigned text from Hebrews chapter 13, the passage that Judd just read so well for us. Let me insert here quickly that I realize that there are a lot of people who are single and not by their own choice. And there are some who just choose not to get married. Jesus wasn't married. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's good to be unmarried. Either way is good. Either way is important. Married or unmarried, there are blessings and there are benefits in both. But my task today is to discuss marriage and the words, particularly in verse 4 of our scripture, where the Hebrew writer said, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now you can read this text and, and figure out that obviously there were some things going on back then. Even in the ancient world, like things are still going on today. The institution of marriage was being disrespected, was being attacked, much like it is today. Adultery, sexual immorality. And in some corners of the Greco-Roman culture, men were even expected to have mistresses. The Hebrew writer says that marriage should be held in much higher regard than that. Marriage should be held in much higher esteem than that. The word honor attributes value and it connotes the precious nature of someone or something. So instead of being treated lightly or flippantly or being disrespected, marriage should be held in high regard. Why? Because it is holy. God created it. It points to God. It illustrates his nature. In his infinite wisdom and kindness, God gave marriage to mankind as a blessing. He gave it to us as a gift. And there in the middle of the beauty and the perfection of the Garden of Eden, God made and gave Eve to Adam. And their relationship was so intimate and tender that they were no longer two, but in a special way, they became one. God said that it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he made man and woman to be companions. That's what marriage is to be all about, is companionship. Marriage was created so that mankind would not be lonely. And the Lord said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God's desired goal 
for a husband and wife is that they become one, unified, a picture of unity, physically, spiritually, relationally. Now, sometimes you'll hear somebody say something like, you know, why do I even need to get married? It's, it's only a piece of paper. I'm here today to tell you that marriage is much more than just a piece of paper. It's, it, it's much more than just a contract of convenience. It's, with apologies to 1970s rock band Boston, it's more than a feeling. It's a precious gift. And God says marriage is to be honored and respected by everybody. So how do we respect? How do we honor marriage? Well, in our remaining few minutes together this morning, I'd like to share with you three ways that you respect and honor marriage. First, number one, you respect and you honor marriage when you love your spouse well. When you love your spouse well. It's important to define what we mean when we say love. Are we talking about a feeling or are we talking about a promise? For many, when they use the word love, they're just talking about a feeling. Fourth of July, fireworks. Oh, it feels so good. In our premarital counseling that often happens, this is one of the first points that we talk about, is that love isn't just a feeling. And yes, there are feelings that are involved. But to say that love is a feeling is the kind of love that says, I love you if, or I love you because. You know, I love you if you make me feel a certain way, or I love you because you look a certain way. But if this is what love means, then really we love somebody only because of what we get out of it. That kind of love is conditional. I love you if, or I love you because. I love you as long as you make me feel happy, but if not, then I'm free to leave. Real love isn't I love you if or I love you because. Real love is the kind of love that says, I love you no matter what. The better use of the word love is love is a promise. Love is a commitment. I love you no matter what. No matter what it costs me, no matter the circumstances, this is the biblical story of love. This is the kind of love, the faithful love that we just sang about. This is the kind of love that God showed us. This is the kind of love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. Despite all our foolishness and despite all our adultery, it's a commitment where individual freedom is surrendered so that love can flourish. Jesus showed us what that looks like. Surrendering individual freedom so that love can flourish. That kind of love is a commitment. It's a decision. It's a decision that enables us in our marriage vows to say, in sickness or in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or worse, till death do us part. It's the kind of love that Vicki showed me. 
in sickness and in health. Paradoxically, it's the love that says, I love you no matter how I feel, that leads to freedom and happiness. So if we're going to respect and honor marriage, we have to love our spouses well. Number two, if we want to respect and honor marriage, we will care about marriage. When you love and when you value something, you take care of it. You don't just sit it over in a corner and ignore it and forget about it. You pay attention to it. You feed it. Because marriage is a living, breathing organism. It must be fed. If you don't take care of it, if you don't feed it, it'll wither up and it'll die. And that's one of the things I appreciate so much about our church's commitment to help marriages through our participation in the program called Graced Marriage. It's a biblically-based marriage maintenance model that meets three or four times a year uh, with other couples to intentionally and proactively focus on the relationship, to take care of the relationship. It's not a lecture. It's not a group therapy. It's not a seminar. It's not a conference. It's not a place where you're forced to share your deepest secrets. And, and, and those are all good things, and there's certainly a time and a place for them. But, but graced marriage is more like weeding your garden or more like changing the, the oil in your car. It's necessary maintenance. It's important. And your garden and your car and your marriage all work better when you care for, when you care about, and you nurture them. You'll notice in today's bulletin there's a special section, a special little square over there where there are 15 ways to care about your marriage. I could go over them here, but I trust that you're going to do that when you get home today. What are these 15 ways that I can care about marriage? And maybe I'll pick out a few of those and try to practice them. 15 ways to care about your marriage. So you respect and you honor marriage when you love your spouse well, when you care about your marriage. And finally, you respect and honor marriage when you recognize and when you appreciate the boundaries. Scott Franks tells a story of how he was once on a, on a rafting trip going down the Rio Grande River. And the guide pointed out this old rusty Subaru that had gone off the road and it landed on the rocks down below, down near the river. There's a, there's a highway that winds over those steep mountains along the river, and apparently there had not been guardrails where the car veered off the highway and down that pile of rocks until it came to a crashing stop. There was no way for them to pull it out again, so it, this car had stayed there for over 30 years. Here's a question. Before it came to a rest, there. Did that car have the freedom to go where it wanted? Could that car go anywhere it wanted? Can you go anywhere you want? Yes, if you were driving that car, you could choose to take that car anywhere you wanted. Well, you could try. But when you drop off the road, you're going to eventually hit the reality that you really don't have the ability to do whatever you want. You cannot defy reality. And when you do, there are going to be consequences. One of the great lies the world is telling us that one of the great lies that the world is telling us is that you will find yourself, you will find your freedom 
if you'll just follow your heart. Do whatever you feel like. The folks who do that end up just like this car. This Subaru is stuck and it's ruined. That is not a picture of freedom. Today's selfish and humanistic culture sells this kind of freedom as the license to do whatever you want, to find your truth, to freely redefine marriage. We have the freedom to try to drive a car or to drive ourselves wherever we want to go. But that won't work for long when we defy reality and go off the road. In the same way, God's truth and God's design for human thriving are realities that we cannot redefine. To defy God's design is to defy reality. True freedom, the sort of freedom that will allow you to thrive, is found in obedience to God's word. God created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what is best for us. He cares about us, and he wants us to stay on the road to health and thriving. His commands are like guardrails for us. Guardrails, yes, they do limit where we go, but they are there for our own good. Through his word, God has given us instructions that act like guardrails to prevent us from wrecking our lives. He knows us. He knows our limits. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32 and 33. God, through Moses, gave us the map that says, Be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left, but walk in obedience to all that your Lord God has commanded you to do. God loves you and he, he cares about you. He values you. He doesn't want you to go off-roading into decisions that are going to harm you and hurt you. God wants each of us to head in the right direction. God wants each of us to grow spiritually, to be shaped more and more into the image of His Son, to be like Him. Spiritual growth is the goal. And we can use marriage to grow in our character and in our obedience, in our service and in our love of God. <clears throat> and maybe, just maybe, God uses marriage to teach us holiness. As Gary Thomas said, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? It stands to reason that a fundamental human relationship, that of husband and wife, is tailor-made by God to help us to grow in holiness. If we are healthy believers who value growing in holiness, then we will learn to appreciate those revealing moments of marriage instead of resenting them. 
those opportunities for growth. I have found marriage to be like a giant mirror, helping me to see character flaws and weaknesses in myself that I was blind to before. Marriage like a giant mirror, helping me to see my weaknesses and my faults. It's so easy to point out weaknesses and faults and problems with others. But maybe marriage is there to help us teach, to help teach us about ourselves. And in lessons that have been learned sometimes the hard way and sometimes through failure and frustration, marriage has taught me, and it would be more accurate to say is still teaching me, humility and patience and kindness and gentleness and thoughtfulness and selflessness and self-control. I still have a long way to go. The story of the world begins and it ends in a wedding. The story of the world begins and ends in a wedding. Justin Early beautifully describes it this way when he said, At the beginning, there are words and light, song and rest, Fruit and animals, yes. But center stage in all of that is the union of the first bride and groom. Almost as if everything else was the processional, the characters funneling in, taking their seats and waiting for the big moment. The stage of creation is set for a ceremony. Man meets woman. There is suspense. Man comes out on stage and God says, you're alone. That's not good. Then there's the great reveal. Here is the bride. And in the moment, in, in the moment that man and woman behold each other, creation sings. And so does Adam. There is poetry and wonder, bone and flesh, and the promise of new life. Marriage is the beginning of the story. But marriage is the end of the story, too. At the end of time, there are fire and clouds, suns and moons, trees and new cities. But again, it's all mostly the clatter and bang for another ceremony, this time even bigger. There's no intimate garden party. This is a cosmic celebration because the war is over and the peace has been won. The kingdom gathers and it's time for the king and queen to be married. This is the marriage of God to his people, the church and the church's lover, always smitten and now fully united. So it is the arc of scripture bends from wedding to wedding. And it's God's unconditional love that connects them. God's love undergirds it all. And just as it was Adam at that first tree in the garden, 
that that first marriage between God and man was broken. So it was another tree, the cross of Christ, that restored our marriage, that restored our relationship with God. Jesus came to us while we were still in sin, while we were still ugly and unlovable, and he loved us anyway. And it was through his death and through his resurrection, even his vow on the cross, where he submitted to love. He made us clean. He made us sanctified. He forgave our sins. He made us holy. And he made us a proposal. Would you be my bride? This morning, are you married to Jesus? Are you baptized into that relationship as his bride? Baptism has been called the believer's wedding ceremony. And this morning, his invitation is still extended. There's no better time than now. If you're subject to that invitation and want to accept his proposal, feel free to come to the, down to the front and respond, or you can go to the back where you can find an elder and wife team. Once you come, as together we stand and sing.